Welcome to Transformation Nation with your hosts, Jason Krantz and Jordan Morrow. Whether in your personal life, family, career, or more, each of us has the power to transform. Our episodes are designed to help empower everyone to transform into the person that they want to be. Jump into this episode to learn how you can become who you want to become. Hey everybody, how you doing? Jason Krantz here with my good friend Jordan Morrow, and I am very excited, and I know Jordan uh, is also, for something that's near and dear to our hearts, and that is data and analytics strategy. And so, Jordan, rather than just, let's skip the preamble, let's get right into it, man. Why, why don't you get us started? What do you think? How do we start this conversation? Oh, man, I, I, this conversation could be, you know, 10 months worth of episodes. It's It's this is the essence of everything. And it's, it's quite interesting, the time that we're living in, the crisis going on around the world has, has sped up and exacerbated companies' desire to do this, right? They, I think companies have wanted to do this for a very long time. They've wanted to use data and analytics and they've tried. Um, they tried to, and they're working on it and they've been investing in it. There's no doubt of this. But then all of a sudden something creeps in that they're not planning for. And data and analytics, like COVID-19 and data and analytics comes right to the forefront of their minds and the power. So to me, maybe maybe let's talk a little bit about why, why is data, one, so prevalent? Two, why is it so important right now? Like why in the world did we get to this stage where all of a sudden it's like data, data, data? What, what are your thoughts on that, Jason? Yeah, you know what I'm going to do? I like analogies because um, when I'm talking to business leaders, a lot of times dead and analytics is one of these things that they hear about, um, but they can't necessarily, they're very smart people, but they, they sometimes have trouble connecting the dots to how it impacts their business. And I can understand that because they've been successful without this stuff for a long time. And so the analogy that I use is it's the akin to um, perhaps your business, certainly our economies have suffered a massive heart attack. Or some kind of other just, you know, just huge health event. And typically in these events, we tend to take a step back and say, what do I need to do different to prevent, like kind of, you know, from a heart attack? What do I need to do to really make my life better or live a different way? And, and that's really, as we look at this, it's an opportunity to take a step back and assess the health of our business, where we've been, where we're going, and more importantly, where we want it to go. And one of the things that I really firmly believe is that the things that worked in the past probably will not work as well in the future. It's not to say that there won't be exceptions. There clearly will be, but there are junctures. There are forks in the road where you have a path to pick. Are we going to keep doing things the same way and kind of hope that everything works out, um, which hope isn't a very good strategy. And it's not to say that old strategies still don't have relevance. They certainly do. There's no question. However, there's also this path that you can take where you've got this amazing asset called data. And I do look at it as an enterprise asset. I know it's not on the balance sheet. My, bu my buddy, Doug Laney, has a lot to say on this. And I agree with him. And, and the idea that this is an asset that needs to be managed and leveraged in the same way that other assets are. But the thing that I, the reason why I feel so passionately about this is time and time and time again, through my own experience, living in the trenches, doing this stuff day in and day out. I have seen the real way that it can progress a company, serve as an accelerant for a company to not only get a better and clearer vision on not only what they want to do, but what is possible, but then to formulate a plan 
using market intelligence or sales information or, you know, whatever it may be, but doing it in a systematic manner. And then this, the, the real power is taking the gut feel and supplementing that with the fact side of the equation. I don't know. What, do, what are your thoughts on that? I, I think you're spot on. And the one thing that I would say is we, you're exactly right. Data is an asset, but it becomes a cost center too. Donald Farmer, a colleague and friend of mine said, basically, unless you've got the analytical piece of it too, all data is doing is collecting costing you money. Mm. But it, to me, it's one of these things when we look at this beautiful asset that is data. And, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, is it data or data? You know what? It doesn't matter. I'm saying data. <laughs> um, but when you look at this beautiful asset, it boils down to companies realized there was potential in it. And companies realized that the potential lies in being able to analyze it, use it to find insight, and then make smarter what we what I love to call is a data-informed decision, right? Mm -hmm. Where I love what you just said. I think far too often we think data and analytics, people think technology, software, and that's going to eliminate the human element. No, please don't don't eliminate the human element. That gut feel oh. has not gone away. Just supplement it, right? It, it's this ability to say, okay, this is what my gut is telling me. Let me bring data in to back it up. And we're living in an era where data is just, it's readily available everywhere, right? Readily available everywhere. And so organizations, and then I, I'm like you, like I'm going to share an example, a real world example. Organizations like talking about why is it so prevalent? Why, why is it so prevalent and important right now? Is because we are living kind of, I like to call it this apex, right? This bending point where you're either going to be using it or you're not. And the current crisis and situation that is there is going to show us what happened in the past, like you said, that old way of doing things is probably not good. It's, I, I don't know how similar it will be at all when this is over. And there's, there's inflection points like this throughout history. So it, it's not that the crisis itself is, is awful. We're seeing that the economy shut down so many different things, but, but shifts and technology turns are not that unusual. Think all the way back, go back to automobiles. A lot of people don't know this, right? when it was horse and buggy. The, the fact of the matter was with horse and buggy, there was an environmental problem and not to get too gross with this, but it was horse manure. They literally <laughs> convened a conference <laughs> to talk about this. And after a few days, they could not figure out what to do. Lo and behold, the invention of the automobile got rid of that problem. Now it might've led to other problems that, that we see in our day and age, different story. Go back to the nineties, personal computers come into play more and more, late eighties, early nineties. Coming into the 2000s, we got smartphones. Data just became this, not just a nice to have anymore, but it's become a necessity. And it's the ability to take that data, transact it or analyze it into insight, and then use that insight to make a decision. And the fact that it is so prevalent here, all over the place, everywhere, organizations that tack onto it, and grab a hold of it, succeed. Here's a, here's a great example, Rolls-Royce. Let me ask you, Jason, what is Rolls-Royce famous for making? I'm going to say cars, but I know they also make engines. Ah, see, there you go. You, 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 you hit it like that. And most people know Rolls-Royce as cars, and not just cars, but amazingly beautiful and nice vehicles. But a lot of people might not know they make a lot of airplane engines. Did you know they break pretty much even? There's not much margin in the airplane engine um, industry making it. That's not where they make their money. 
they make their money with sensors and data collecting information from that engine simultaneously during a flight and at different times. And mm. so people don't realize that that's the internet of things, right? So why is data so prevalent and important right now is the fact that it is a readily available asset that allows us to gather it, that allows us to succeed with it, to make smarter decisions with it. But without a data and analytical strategy, we see those organizations aren't succeeding. So I want to pass the ball back to you. Why do you think individuals and organizations struggle with these topics of data and analytical strategy? Or basically, why are they missing out on ROI when it comes to these topics? All right. Um, I'm going to do something that I like to do a lot. It's, um, I don't want to say it's a thought exercise, but I really like putting myself into the shoes of whoever I'm trying to really understand. So in this case, I'm going to put my myself in the shoes of a business executive, right? I've been very successful throughout my career. I got to where I'm at because I had an internal system and process for making good decisions, and that was gut feel, right? Maybe I used data. Maybe I didn't use data. I'm going to guess a lot of uh, business leaders really leverage that gut feel, though. So now... I'm, I'm leading this business and I've heard a ton about this thing called data and analytics. But again, I'm going back to a comment I made before is like, I've been successful my whole life. Do I really need this stuff? But if I take a step back, and again, this is just my view. I'm not implying this for any of our listeners, uh, either in the leadership realm or even in the technical realm, but I might be a little scared of what these data and analytic uh, initiatives might turn up. And I'll, I'll give you one that if I were a leader, I would be quite fearful of. If my responsibility as a leader is revenue growth, margin growth, or whatever it may be. And I've been leading a business, just say for 10 years, I'm just making a number up. And I think I've got everything, you know, everywhere there's, there, there's to dig into money, I, I've taken care of those issues. And then I go and look at the numbers and I have an outside entity come in and look at it. Um, and I see all these opportunities that I missed, right? One of the things I tend to pay a lot of attention to on this, because really we're selling ideas here. We're selling a concept. We're selling a, a yeah, really, really it is an idea of, Ego is very involved in this. So as I back it up to gut feel, I also put ego into that bucket because, um, you know, people, a lot of people put their identity against these types of business leadership positions. They are a leader. They are a CEO. They are something like that. And so I think a lot of it um, could be fear-based, right? They know it could work. They know it could be very good for them in the long run. Um, but, you know, emotion. Uh, you know, I studied behavioral finance and, and what I realized is that uh, you think, you know, people would act rationally, but we don't. And that's all of us. We don't act rationally. Even when things, all the information says we should not do something, we still do it. And so as I look at this, I tend to look at more of the psychological components in the resistance that is driven by that. And really at its core to boil that all down to one word is change. It's change, and it could be change for the better. It could help everybody involved, but change is difficult. Change is very hard. That's what this whole podcast is about is change and transformation. So I think, you know, some of that is it, people are aware of. Some of it they aren't aware of. I don't know. What do you think? I, I completely agree with you. Like So when I travel the world, and right now I'll be a set camp, so I'm speaking all over the world. When I talk to organizations, in fact, I had a call just earlier today where I was point blank asked pretty much, what's the biggest obstacle? 
what is the biz- biggest obstacle to data and analytics success? And I think, you know, some people are like, oh, data quality. Oh, data sourcing. Oh, tools <laughs> has nothing to do with any of those things. Nope. It is culture and it is people. This is why the field that I, you know, thankfully took off when I started to create it was data literacy has such an important element to play. Now it's a future episode, so I won't delve too much into that. But the, the reality <laughs> is the reason I, I love the word you used, it's change, right? So when you take a look at these companies, so we, we know data is prevalent, right? There's a prediction out there that by the year 2025, there will be 175 zettabytes. This is the annual data sphere, 175 zettabytes of data. That's 175 and then follow it by 21 zeros, okay? That's how big that is. 2025. The reality is people trying to capitalize on it. This is new. And when new things come in, um, and it's actually not so new now, I mean, it's 10, 20 years since it's really started to take off. But even then, the resistance is real, right? It was what, five, 10 years ago, we saw the big advent of uh, big data and Hadoop. Now we're seeing the big advent of artificial and augmented intelligence with embedded analytics, all these things. And when these things are present, This is change. And when you throw that word at people, or when you throw in a new process, when you throw in a new system, when you throw these things in, people hesitate. And that's why this human element probably matters more than anything, right? It's because Mm -hmm. you have to have strong change management. Lori Silverman talks about this. There is true shift. There is true evolution. There is true change that needs to occur out there. Without Mm -hmm. it, what is going to happen? Are we going to see success? Basically, my opinion, what you see is what you've seen for years. Organizations buy software. They buy technology thinking it is going to satisfy and be the solution. It fails. Guess what gets blamed? The software and technology. Software, it's exactly. Yeah, but guess what? That stuff probably worked totally fine. What didn't work mm-hmm. was your workforce. And I don't mean that they didn't try. This is That's not what I'm saying at all. It's that the organization did not invest in the proper upskilling and empowerment of the individual, the proper change. So when we talk about why do companies struggle with data and analytical strategy, it's because they struggle that when you think data and analytics, you think technology. So they turn that way. Yeah. But we don't do that. Any, Any thoughts to that, to add to that? Oh, dude, I'm telling you, you've hit, you've hit, uh, you threw me a softball here that I'm just going (laughs) to jack out of the park. Because I'm telling you what, so just as context, I was always hired for the roles that I did to stand up analytics practice because we had leadership teams that knew to to grow at the levels that they needed and to achieve their strategic vision. They needed to change the way that they conducted business on a daily basis. And they knew it had to be a fundamental part of the fabric of the way that they operated. And so when they, again, I had a job because they're like, listen, we're real serious about this and we need somebody that's going to go in there and be essentially our advocate to help drive this change. So a lot of times when I went in, yeah, we had to do all the tech and analytics stuff, but more importantly, it was selling an idea. It was communicating a change. It was being in the business. As I said, we were in the trenches every single day with the business, like literally we're sitting there and be like, hey, man, what are you trying to take care of today? How can we help you? You know, you're trying to size the market, product, you know, product development. You're trying to understand what kind of pricing strategy, all these different things that they became a, a part of the fabric of the business. Now, the thing is, is you will hear me talk about this all the time. 
the companies that I've been a part of did this and they did it well because they committed to it. And the financial benefits of it were so mind blowing that it's, it's like you almost couldn't believe that an analytics team could help drive this type of operating profit growth or revenue growth. And the thing that I always say is that analytics by ourselves, we don't do anything. We, we really do not do anything. What we do though, is we give people the firepower that they need and serve as a force multiplier to help them do their jobs better, to identify the best strategic opportunities to attack. And that way you can go and you know what we've guys, we've got five different strategic projects that we can take on. Some are high CapEx, some are low CapEx, some are high headcount, some are low, you know, resources needed. But sometimes people, you know, kind of might miss some of the under the surface value. And that's where analytics can look at like you know, bringing it to the financial side, total cost of serve for a customer profitability analysis or a segmentation, um, market sizing, market penetration, share of wallet, share of market, all these different things that you can then directly translate to either top line or bottom line impact on the business. And so as we look at this, um, you know, I, I monologuing again there, but I see this, that leadership part, and that change part as kind of the fullback to creating a good data and analytic strategy, because um, it gets to this. I just want to share this real quick. As I said, I'm on my high horse, but um, anytime that, you know, I'm talking to a business leadership, I always like to ask them, if you could answer any five questions about your business, what would you answer? And a lot of times it comes down to factors outside market related, 10 groups of questions. And then uh, five to six of those are outside kind of the four walls. But so we answer those questions. We say, cool, we, we can answer A, B, and C with the information you've got. But then the big question becomes, what are you going to actually do differently? And that's kind of the beginning part of how you go about building a good data and analytics strategy, because first you've got to know where you want to go. And then you can look at how data and analytics can help you get there. So I'm going to take a breather because I just ran <laughs> on way too long. What do you what do you think about that? How do you go about building it? Well, I guess one, what's your thoughts on that? And two, how do you go about building a good data and analytics strategy? Well, I'm I'm going to dive right into that. How do you build this? Because hopefully it'll answer some of my my thoughts to that previous part. But just overall, this this to me is part of the essence. What I've seen from just experience, you're probably the same and working with the clients that you do, is that companies that try and build an analytical strategy. What they did is they bought a technology because some good salesman was able to say, this will solve your data and analytic needs. And when they sold them that, they basically then tried to force fit everybody into that technology and said, go find mm -hmm. me insight. And that just doesn't work. People don't go to school for these backgrounds. And so what I tell mm -hmm. companies and I tell individuals is start with a data and analytic strategy then watch the tools and technology and software fall into place because then you can yeah. start to investigate it is. But how do you start with a good data and analytical strategy? The, the reality is I always tell people your data and analytical strategy needs to tie back to your organization's overall goals and strategy. It needs to tie yeah. back to what you're trying to do. So when we think about data and analytics and the human element, which would be data literacy, what is the entire purpose? The entire purpose is to support the organization for success, right? And that means, means decision-making, it means dashboards, it means measurement, it means these different things. What is your organization trying to accomplish? What are you trying to do? If you're in retail, 
draw bigger market share, trying to target a new audience. What is it? Okay. Your data and analytics strategy should be in support yep. of that. This, so what I'm getting at, I know you and I have talked a lot about manufacturing. Lately. What is manufacturing trying to do? Data and analytics support that. You're in, in healthcare, a very critical one right now, right? What is your data and analytics strategy? What, what's interesting about the healthcare side of this, I have a, a company out of Australia who's just reached out to me. I'm meeting with them tomorrow evening. They are at the forefront, of course, with COVID-19. And they're asking, can we talk to you about data literacy? Because they understand it. They get it. They mm -hmm. understand why. Overall, the, the word or the terms, the words or terms that I would use is outcome focused, right? Meaning, mm -hmm. what are you trying to accomplish? Okay. Then you can back behind that and say, what data do we have to support that? Do we have it? Is it sourced? Is it not sourced? What analytics would help us to understand what to do about this? Falling back a little more. What tools and technology do, which would, was going to be the next question I was going to ask you about, what tools and technology need to be put in place for that to happen? Fall back a little bit more. What training do we need to give our workforce? Not just tool specific, which is what they've always done, but mm -hmm. analytic and data specific so they can use the tool. So it's almost, if you will, this cascading down of strategy where you start with what am I trying to freaking accomplish here? And then it's, it's like we go back to our fitness analogies all the time, right? If I to show up to the Spartan Ultra Marathon line with a haphazard strategy, it's not going to work. But my goal is to finish that race. What do I need to do? I need to train with this, this, this. I can't burn out. What nutrition do I need? This, this, this. What kind of rest do I need? This, this, this. The same thing needs to happen with data and analytics. What am I trying to accomplish? Okay, do I have the data for it? Do I have the analytics for it? Do I have the skills for it? What tools do I have? To, so start with that vision, that outcome in place. But I want to hear your take. What, what do you think with that? Oh, well, there's a reason I called my company Strategy Titan and not Analytics Titan um, is because I unquestionably 100,000% agree with what you said there in that if you do not understand the strategic objectives of an organization and you're trying to, you know, use data and analytics to drive results or have an impact, your probability of success is probably quite low. Now there's going to be exceptions. There's your Facebooks of the world and those that are digital natives that probably have it more ingrained in their culture. But again, looking more towards the places where I have my experience, you know, manufacturing, a wholesale trade, retail, um, they're awash in data. But, you know, they're maybe not as um, savvy and leveraging it to achieve their strategic objectives. And so I 100% agree. Start with the strategy. Understand those objectives. One of the things that I've observed in working in companies of, you know, in different industries and different sizes and just different places in their maturation is that the strategic objectives are remarkably consistent. If you put them into kind of broad buckets, right, you've got revenue growth. You've got margin enhancement, EBITDA, or, you know, operating profit, whatever, you know, line in that, that you want to go to, um, enterprise value enhancement. You know, if you're in the private equity space, which I did spend five, you know, over five years in, it's a little bit of a different beast versus public. Um, but the thing is, is ultimately they all kind of come back to kind of those core metrics, you know, that's, that's ignoring uh, nonprofit entities and things like that. But to your point, Start with those as strategic objectives. And then if you, like, you know, I spent a lot of time talking about the revenue side, right? 
So I'm really big. If I have one analytics project to go after, um, usually it's going to be sales analytics and price management and total cost to serve because those are virtually universal things. If you sell product, you're, you probably have a revenue-based objective or strategy of some kind to drive growth. And that's where, you know, you, 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 you've got to be aligned. And that's one of the things that I see major opportunity for those of us kind of in the, the data and analytics space to, we have all the technical muscle in the world, but sometimes we lack that perspective on, you know, really understanding the business challenge. And then, you know, from, from the, the non-technical perspective, you know, the executive leadership perspective is, you know, getting comfortable with, well, this is my strategy and I know what I'm going to do. I encourage you to, to maybe, you know, start leveraging some of these data and analytic, analytic resources to see how they can start serving as force multipliers for your strategy and start driving results. And the great thing is you don't have to go with a big spend project. You can do lightweight pilot project with information you've already got within your four walls to start showing value very quickly. Right. Um, so, so kind of to that point is what do you see as kind of some of those steps to drive data and analytical work? It's a really good question. We've touched a lot upon a lot of them, right? It's first off, what is it that you're trying to do with data? Here's a prime example of what not to do. So the first one is, what are you trying to do with data? What outcomes do you want? I, I was in Singapore last year and I was with my organization CTO and we were speaking to a group of analysts and he brought up that he had been meeting with another executive and basically what that executive said was, oh, we're invested in all this data. I'm not sure why someone's going to use it. What, what, what in the world did I just hear? An executive saying someone's going to use it? Like, I, I, I'm like, I'm with you. You don't necessarily, if you're trying to test the waters, you don't have to go big. I don't care what you're hearing out there. I don't care what the media is saying. I don't care if someone's saying data's this, data's that. You need this, you need that. Don't just waste money. Be smart about it. Secondly, once, how do you want to achieve this? Is a great way to think about this. So, we have data. We know we have to source it. Well, that's one thing we have to do. So how do you want to do that? How do we source this data? Then comes into play um, the human element. Do we need teams? Do we centralize? Do we need decentralize, et cetera? Allow the outcome and the strategy to flow these things in. The third, there are tools and technologies out there to augment the human, right? They're there to help the human element of this. The one thing I would say is make sure the tool fits. Right. What company is it? Let's give a construction kind of joking analogy with this. Let's say you just hired a new person and you have a row of screws that have to be screwed down the, the row, the, the wall you're putting up. And you hand them a hammer and say, have at it. How successful are they going to be getting those screws and the wall to hold up? Maybe, but you're about to hammer in screws might cause holes. Anyway, you have to have the right tools for the right job at the right time. And what we've seen, and you're probably the same, is what companies have done historically is they have caused it to be the opposite. This is the tool. Now you might be, I don't know what it is you're doing in construction or something else. Here's your hammer. Go find a nail and find something to do. That is so haphazard. That is so out there. Maybe they find something. Maybe they have success with something versus Okay, we're trying to accomplish this. I know I need a good BI platform. Which BI platform is going to suit my needs the best? I know I need to sort 
or source the data. I need data integration. I need things on the back end to help source this right. I know I need a good learning platform to teach my employees how to do that. And that learning needs to be not just tool specific, but it needs to be data and analytics specific. This is that data literacy piece. This is not only because one of the things we talk about here is empowering and, and embedding analytics in everybody's job. Uh, I think we've talked about in the past, just you and I in conversation, that data and analytics needs to be a part of the business. It's not a siloed off piece of the puzzle. Oh, God. It, oh, Jesus. <laughs> I'm touching a nerve, I can tell. It, it's, oh, it's, yeah. a, it's this, give it to everybody, but empower them appropriately. It, it needs to be a part of things because the more minds you have on it, the more trained up they are, the better the solutions can be, the more successful that strategy can be. These are all just pieces of this puzzle. What, what, so let's, let's get your expansion on that. Why, if we're talking data and analytics strategy, Jason, maybe we could use this as kind of a closing preamble until we go into the next few episodes that'll be on this topic uh, of data and analytics strategy and data literacy. What is it about a data strategy and strategy? Why does it need to be embedded in the business and not siloed off on the side? Well, I speaking from experience is that it is so hard to drive the change that actually results. You drives um, the the progression and evolution and transformation that's needed. You you I will go so far as to say you cannot do it if you are not in the business. That that mountain is so ungodly high to climb that you know, like when I was doing this, I spent ten years in sales operations, front front line every single day with sales, pipeline management, market sizing, price management, all that stuff. What happens is eventually they start to trust you. They start to understand that you have my best interest in mind. You're trying to help me succeed. And then what happens is something magical happens. I've seen it time and time again with hundreds of sales reps. They all go through the exact same evolution. It's, I don't need this crap. Holy cow, this is pretty useful. I can't live without it. And that everybody goes through that, that, that evolution in a different time period. Um, but I have seen it time and time and time again. My strategy, actually, I'll share a little secret of mine. My big, my uh, favorite strategy to use to drive conversion is to find the biggest naysayer. Find a person that like, like no way in hell this is going to work. I'm not changing. I, you know what? Nope. And what I do is I white glove treat. I just, I give them everything that they need. And even before they ask for it, be like, hey, we were looking at this. It looks like you might have a, a, you know, a pricing opportunity here or a growth opportunity here. And then what we do is we don't even share that with anybody else. We give it to them. It's like, hey, it's your idea. Then they, then it clicks. They're like, whoa. Exactly. Whoa. Whole, and, the, and the thing is, is it's unprompted. But the thing is, is by converting the biggest naysayer We've just turned them into an advocate and their peer group looks at them and says, holy crap, you know, Joe Bull over there, or Jane Doe, you, they hated this stuff and they love it now. What am I missing? And it works remarkably well. I would encourage anybody that has this challenge in front of them, find the biggest naysayer and go convert them. That means white glove treatment. You're going to have to, it's going to take a while to earn their trust. But the point is with that, you cannot do that if you are not front and center with those people on a daily basis. And more importantly, they need to trust you. If they do not trust you, mark my words, it will not happen. And so that's for me, 
why you need to be in the, the business. Again, it gets the, the comment I said before, being in the trenches with those people day in and day out. This is the human element. This is the cultural element. This is the thing that I'm always talking about on LinkedIn that you know doesn't get taught in a course or some certification or whatever it is. It's a different side of the equation that I believe is vastly more important for the actual effective implementation of in, in integration of analytics and data into strategy but not only that, in a manner that will actually drive results and fundamentally change the way that people view this stuff and the way that they leverage it going forward. What do you think? Absolutely. Oh, man. Like, I, I love you and I, the kindred spirits, man. I, I tell people, get the naysayers. Get the avoiders. Yeah. Get those who don't want to be a part of this. And this, again, we've got like 50 episodes we're talking through here. And this, but we'll call this an introduction to data and analytics strategy because this is really our, our bread and butter, right? But this is what we love. But you're right. You, if you can get that naysayer to believe, and you get them involved, and they become a part of it, and then they see success. It's one thing to have an evangelist who's believed in data the entire time. Mm-hmm. It's another to have one who has hated it or did not want it. To then all of a sudden be like, "Well, this is it. I'm going to go around and share my story." And so I, I agree with you, man. Right. I, I think this is a good spot to segue to our ending, but that we have many more episodes. Oh, about. yeah. And so just so everybody knows, um, the next episode, I'm basically going to be interviewing uh, Jordan here because we're going to be covering the topic of data literacy. Now, I know a little bit, but when you're in the presence of greatness, you take <laughs> advantage of it. So uh, I think it's going to be a heavily lopsided conversation, but both myself, I know I'm going to enjoy it. And I'm pretty sure our listeners will too. So uh, to everybody, thanks for your time today. Again, as Jordan had said, uh, this is a topic near and dear to our hearts and be sure uh, you can, you can be assured that we are going to be talking about this quite a bit more in the coming episodes. Make it a great day, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us today on another episode of Transformation Nation. Please take the time to connect with both of us, reach out through our social channels, and start taking those first steps towards not only transforming yourself, but empowering everyone to become who they want to be. Until next time, this is Jason and Jordan. Go dominate, my friends.